Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are headed right into April, which means that the NBA playoffs basically kind of right around the corner, are they not? Finally, we do not have to talk about trades. We did that for the last three podcasts, and that trade deadline is now behind us. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the moves that were made on that day last Thursday. But for now, keeping it at 94 is going to focus on the future and what's going on right now. So, with that said, glad to be back for another episode with Brian Fritz, my right-hand man, hanging out with me on my birthday, my 30 Eve. It's good to be here. How you doing? I'm doing well. Happy birthday, Spencer. I know it's a big day for you and, uh, you know, turning, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just glad that uh, you're available to do the podcast on your birthday and you're not off uh, in the streets celebrating. (laughs) I don't really know what to celebrate. Birthdays are so interesting to me these days, especially because, you know, with mine coming in the, the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic last year, and it happening still in the middle of a pandemic this year, even though that there's, you know, been, been progress. Uh, it's just been a little, little weird. And I don't really know how to properly celebrate other than to like, you know, open up a bottle of whiskey or bourbon or whatever it may be. So I'll figure that out on my own time. And I mean, I'm going to be around here, so there's no reason for me not to do this pod. And I've been watching a ton of NBA, getting back into it. I know that the NCAA tournament has been on fire. We've got our final four set. uh, And I I have been paying very close attention to that. But I've also had the luxury of watching the NBA at the same time, which it's kind of hard to keep up with both at the same time, if we're going to be honest. It is kind of weird. It it is, you know, because there is a lot going on and um, so much basketball. And then you have the women's tournament, too. Like there's just so much that you could throw on and you just have to pick what to prioritize. Yeah. And the thing is, too, for me, I will fully admit this. Okay, there are college sports that I can enjoy, but I don't get into college sports nearly as much as I do professional. I am a sports snob. I fully admit that I, I, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, if it's football, if it's whatever, I will fully tell people like, yes, I can understand if you enjoy everything that goes into college sports. There are some that, that I do enjoy. I do have my team in football and basketball. I went to uh, the university of central Florida, you know, I'm a big fan, everything that's involved there. However, I prefer watching professional sports because the way that I look at it is if I'm going to invest my time into watching something that I want to enjoy, 
I want to see it done at the highest level. That being said, I do not take away from anybody that prefers college sports over professional, but you know, I watch some of these college basketball games and I get it. We're watching amateur sports, man. There, there's some tough watches though, including like UCLA, Michigan, like it was close. That was a tough watch, especially early on in that game. We've got to remember they're amateurs. That's just, that's just the, the way it is. But, and then when you see a, a team like Gonzaga perform the way that it performs, Gonzaga is a machine. Yeah. Like then that, th- that's where the, you know, the, the comparisons come in and you, on one end you think, oh, this, this team could take out the, the Pistons or whoever is the bottom of the, the standings. Rockets, yeah. And, and then you look at say another one seed like Michigan on Tuesday night, losing to an 11 seed like UCLA. And you're like, oh, okay, they're still just amateurs. Anybody can, can win on any given night. And that's the best part about, uh, I think the, the college basketball scene, you see upsets in the women's tournament too, like, uh, Texas beating, I believe it was, um, Maryland. And then there was, uh, the, the other game the other day, uh, with UConn and Baylor with that non-foul call like that. that oh, that was, was crazy, horrible. Wasn't it? That, that wasn't an upset or anything. I just wanted to bring that up because that, that was, was horrible. Wild. Everybody was talking about that. Like online, I was like, how was, I mean, there was, there was a no call, which he got fouled twice in the same play. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I think it's just to keep Paige bikers in the tournament that she's just outstanding. Like you cannot, you cannot have her out of the tournament. So since we're talking about the tournament real quick, okay. Um, on the men's side. So we've got Houston against Baylor and then UCLA against Gonzaga. UCLA is the, the outlier here because they're the 11th seed and they took out top ranked Michigan on, on Tuesday night. So who you got? Who man, you know, now that I have no dog in the fight, I wouldn't mind seeing UCLA do it, but I just have no idea how, they're going to possibly how can they keep up scoring wise with Gonzaga? Yeah, exactly. How are they going to possibly be Gonzaga? I'm watching Gonzaga and I see just multiple NBA prospects on there. I, I like Jalen Suggs. I truly enjoy him. Um, you know, the, the focus is on, you know, that his, his more of a lack of athleticism. But when I see him, I just see IQ. I see a guy who passes the ball, who can shoot the hell out of it, uh, who gets to the rim tacks, shares the ball with his teammates like and and since he's you know in that upper classman range there's going to be people that that kind of hesitate to believe he can be a top five pick but he's just so heady and the 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 sample size that i see i feel like he's just going to be a, a fit right away as opposed to you know some of these guys become projects and stuff um and in my mistake he's not He's not uh, an upperclassman. That's my mistake. Uh, but he still just has that maturity that of an upperclassman, I guess, is what I was trying to say, um, that that others might not possess. Um, and then you know, Corey Kispert, that dude, uh, is is clearly – that's the upperclassman I wanted to bring up. I mixed the two up. That's my apologies. Um, but he's the senior, and he's somebody who's able to put it on the floor, shoot the ball from distance – uh, you know, very Joe Harris like in his play. Uh, I, I just really like him and not to get too much onto a college basketball tangent, like you were mes- mentioning, but that Gonzaga team is just a well-oiled machine. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I'm like a lot of people that have wanted to see Gonzaga against Baylor in the finals. And we very well could see that because they're obviously um, on the opposite side of the bracket for one another, Houston and UCLA looking to play spoilers. But I mean, 
that could be a an incredible um, matchup at the end if we do get those two top seeds against one another. Oh yeah, and and Baylor too. We have to mention, uh, you know, a guy like Davion Mitchell. I've enjoyed watching him the entire tournament. If you just see his burst, he has that first step on somebody. He gets by and he's gone. He is just absolutely gone. Uh, somebody who could get to the rack, uh, make clutch shots in the big moment. It's funny that he wears number 45 like Donovan because we have two Mitchells wearing 45. And I believe they had a, uh, a Twitter exchange with each other uh, about that very moment. So that's pretty funny. Um, and then on the flip side on Houston, you have a lot of just you have some dogs on that team. Uh, like Giroux, who's an excellent defender, um, who who really, uh, you know, encapsulates what college basketball should be about um, and, and just fighting for, for everything. I think Quentin Grimes is a really good prospect. Uh, somebody who was supposed to be at Kansas didn't work out, so he ended up being in the transfer portal and is doing wonders uh, for this Houston Cougars team and is likely going to be an NBA prospect. Uh, and, and going to be somebody who makes a noise at the next level. Um, this season's done, you know, wonders for him as well. So I really like just the, the the individual talents that have been in this tournament. And, you know, that goes without mentioning, you know, how well Evan Mobley played throughout this tournament. Um, obviously had his hands full with Gonzaga on Tuesday, but um, that that's just delving into the tournament a little bit. I didn't want to get too far into it, but. I mean, it's impossible not to it's it's impossible not to talk about it when it's March 31st, for goodness sake. Well, I was gonna bring up like in watching the games that we've seen so far, and and you watch college a little bit closer than, than I do, has anybody really um changed their mind about where they could go in the draft? I don't know if it's changed anybody's mind. I think it's given because like, you know, Cade Cunningham is out after two rounds or you know. Uh, one round or whatever it was. Um, I feel like that was the first time people saw Cade Cunningham play and they're going to have that as their first, you know, real look at him other than, you know, not watching him playing throughout the season, which irks me by the way, because if you're not going to pay attention to the 24 other games he played, then what the hell are you doing? Um, I feel like, I feel like none of none of them really lost any draft stock. It, it, st- draft stock. If anything, they they gained draft stock. Uh, but th- this this class is loaded, as we know. And you have to include the other guys on the G League Ignite as well, like Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green and Dacian Nix, and you know the 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 crop of talent that that team pre- presents to the equation, as well as what college has and internationally. Uh, like there's there's a bunch coming in in the class of 2021. And a lot of the teams, you know, in the bottom tier should be excited that they have an opportunity to add real pieces. Oh, yeah. And then the the NBA just announced that the lottery is going to be June 22nd. The draft is going to be July 29th. So, yeah, this is this is the class where a lot of people are looking forward to and saying this one is loaded. And I think a lot of teams or not, maybe not a lot, but there's several teams that are really, uh, really banking on this upcoming draft to help their future. Sure thing. All right, we can wrap up NCAA tournament talk there. Uh, real quick, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz. I'm on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. We are keeping it 94. Like I said, part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. We've got nine other great podcasts for you to listen to. So we'll tell you a little bit about those at the end of the show. 
But I promise you, you will not be disappointed. In basketballnews.com, of course, we have great articles, interviews, player content, all of the above. Make sure you go visit the site. It's got great stuff. Again, will not lead you astray. That said, Brian, let's get this thing started. Uh, into NBA talk, where we where we uh, starting off here? Well, um, I know you don't want to talk about the trade deadline, and I don't really want to go too deep on that because it was last week. But it was very active. I I really wish I'd stuck to my guns early on when I said I thought I was going to be active, and then I immediately was like a frightened turtle that went back into his shell <laughs> that uh, recanted, and then come to find out it was a busy trade deadline. It just a couple of the names didn't go. Like I thought Lowry was going to go, and he didn't. But Oladipo went, and uh, you know Aaron Gordon went. The Magic just blew up their entire team. You know they traded Vooch, which we did not see happening so there was a lot going on and then since then we've seen some buyouts you know Blake Griffin is now with the Nets uh, LaMarcus Aldridge surprised everybody a little bit he went to the Nets rather than going to the Heat Andre Drummond is, is now with the Lakers he's gonna be making his debut on Wednesday night uh, as they take on the Bucks. Um, I'm curious though without you know recanting the entire trade deadline but what teams really help themselves or, or is there a team you feel better or worse about following the trade deadline. Because for me, you know, beginning the season, I like the heat. I kind of got off that bandwagon because I was really worried about the chemistry issues and with all the guys uh, missing games because of COVID and injuries and, and whatnot. And now that they've gotten back together, they've really started to make their move. And, you know, they've they're got a little hiccup in the road again right here, but it looks like they're going to be healthy here pretty soon. And now they've, you know, they've made their moves. You know, they got Bielitsa, they've got Oladipo. I think they helped themselves. And the team that I really liked too that that made a move was the Nuggets going out and getting Aaron Gordon. And I'm I'm fascinated to see what they could possibly unlock in his game, especially with you know Jokic and how well he's playing. Absolutely. And I think the the way that he's gonna do that is just cutting to the basket and making the occasional three-pointer. He's going to be dependent on for his defense. He's not exactly as long as someone like Jeremy Grant, but to bring in somebody who is able to switch one through four, who's able to get up into your body, who's athletic, who can bring an element that they did not have and were clearly missing since the departure of Jeremy Grant is a huge move for the Nuggets. I think that them bringing in JaVale McGee was a big move for the Nuggets because Isaiah Hartenstein was only averaging uh, nine minutes a game, which meant Nicole Jokic was out there for, you know, 35 plus every night. And he can finally get a blow with someone like McGee behind him. Yeah, good point. Um, and, you know, like they, they were going small ball five with Jermichael Green, sometimes Paul Millsap in that area. But now you have somebody that can give Jokic you know, that four or five extra minutes of rest without really having to, to be worried about what happens when he's off the floor. Because as we know, JaVale McGee, professional, professional, and somebody who brings that championship pedigree and really, really does a good job of igniting a team. He doesn't need the ball. He's going to go out there and do the dirty work. He knows his role. He's going to rebound. He's going to defend. And he knows he's going to play 10 or 15 minutes, but he's going to go out there and do that with high energy for every minute he's on the court. And then when he's off the court, he's going to be rooting as hard as anybody for his teammates on the sideline. No question. No question. 
So that's definitely one winner in Denver. And then I think Chicago, you already mentioned it, man. Just having that that pick and pop option with, with, with Nikola Vucevic, the season he's having, it don't matter where the hell he is on the floor. He is somebody that can really fill it up no matter what. Um, and, and offensively just brings an entire different element to this team. I, I think that it's going to take some time. As we see, it's going to take some time. Zach Levine's not, not been healthy for about, you know, a week and a half, two weeks. Um, he's really dealing with that ankle injury. So we haven't really seen the best of Zach Levine and people are trying to pile on already and saying that Zach can't do it with big, with, you know, better teammates, which I think is a load of garbage. Um, but you know, you got Vooch there. You have a guy like Daniel Tice coming off the bench now, who's a, a really solid pickup uh, after they rerouted Mo Wagner to the Boston Celtics. I think that you bring in a guy like Troy Brown Jr. off the bench works so, so well. Uh, as a, you know, a de facto point guard, even though he's like more like a point forward, um, Al Farouk Aminu, somebody who can really defend and and give you uh, a, a different kind of feel on the defensive end uh, and and guard guys up in their face. Uh, we'll see how Billy Donovan uses him, but I think that's a really underrated pickup on their part, um, as well as as the Troy Brown Jr. deal. And then again, you know, there's only so many minutes to be had. But Javante Green, I think, is an interesting pickup as well. If things aren't going right to throw him in as just kind of a wild card. And, uh, you know, he's he's got a, a very savvy game, even though he's a, a little bit uh, undersized for the three position. You can probably use a three-guard set there. Um, I like it. I like them a lot. You know, you spoke about Vooch. And I think we were all surprised last Thursday morning when – that they got kicked off with him getting traded. Nobody really saw that. And I didn't even hear his name floated around like in trade rumors. Um, that being said, what did you think about what the Bulls gave up for him and what the Magic got? Because I, at first I thought it wasn't enough. Now I kind of look at it and going, okay, yeah, that was probably a pretty good deal. But I still wonder, could the Magic have gotten more if they waited till the offseason? It's like one of those things where they finally admitted, like, we're going to blow it up. But when is the right time? I mean, for Gordon, I think they sold on him low and a little bit low. 48, definitely low um, what they got for him. But Vooch, that was probably closer to his value. But I still kind of wonder about him. I I think they waited too long on, on Gordon, especially, though. Yeah, no, I. I kind of feel for the magic because they they did accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And that was to, you know, clear the deck, uh, you know, wipe their hands clean of, of anything that was from that era. But I think Getting, they waited a season know, too long to do it. They might've, they might've. Um, I, I have a very, I have a very particular opinion on this though, because, you know, we hear about the rumblings of, of Aaron Gordon wanting a trade out. Uh, you know, Vooch couldn't have been any different. He was literally crying at the, at the press conference for the bulls his original press conference. I just don't think that anything was of fault for the magic. They had some very bad breaks. They've been one of the most injured teams this entire season. They've been without Markel faults since the beginning of the year. They've been without Cole Anthony for the last few months. They have not had Jonathan Isaac at all throughout any of this because of his injury in the bubble. And 
they're still, I mean, I think that they were playing fine at the beginning of the year until those injuries to the guards. They've just been decimated, man. Like, I just don't, I don't see, you know, why players couldn't look at it as what the situation was instead of having this kind of short-sightedness, I guess. Um, like they got Okiki back, you know, and I mean, Okiki won a game for them. The Magic went on the road and pulled one out against the Clippers on Tuesday night, which is a horrible loss for the Clippers. Sure, no, sure did. And uh, they executed down the stretch, outscored them 66 to 45 in the second half. Didn't they? I think the Magic held the Clippers to like 32% shooting in the second half. And like the Clippers were up by seven or eight with like under three minutes to go. And, and man, the Magic just, they went on a run. They took care of business. Like I said, O'Keefe oh, yeah. did his thing. And, um, you know, Wendell Carter hit a couple yeah. big free throws. I mean, and by the way, this comes after the Magic damn near beat the Lakers here. Mind you, no LeBron, no AD. But regardless, you look at this Magic squad, everybody thinks like they're just going to get decimated the rest of the season. And they played two highly competitive games here. And they beat a Clippers squad that didn't have Paul George. But Kawhi Leonard played and everybody else in the Clippers played. So, And, and you know what? And this is classic, you know, team trades away the whole core. So... Next man ups the mentality. I mean, they're gonna come back down to reality. Sure. <laughs> oh, point. they will. They will. But this is this is good experience, though. This is good experience, and they always uh, they they do play really good defense, and that's a credit to Michael Carter Williams, somebody who's having arguably his best season since, uh, you know, his his rookie of the year uh, award, in my opinion, uh, just the way that he's played defense, um, and I know offensively that he has his ups and downs. Um, we've actually talked about that at length that there's an interview between us on basketballnews.com, uh, where I talked to him for 20 minutes and, and literally was just talking about the season and, you know, fitting in with the magic and stuff. This was pre-trade, but you know, a lot of the, the thoughts are still the same. Um, you know, I, I appreciate teams coming out and doing what they do like that. Uh, and you're going to have a lot of valuable experience for the guys that they got in return for Vooch, Fournier and, and Gordon, uh, like Wendell Carter, for example, he should, in two games, he's averaging 9.5 points and seven rebounds uh, on 85% from the field, which is hilarious coming <laughs> off the bench. Um, you know, having that solid, uh, you know, output so far. Uh, you mentioned Chuma Okiki. This is somebody I'm very high on uh, and think has a very bright future. Um, Mo Bamba has caught my eye a little bit here in the last, uh, you know, stretch last week, uh, getting legitimate playing time over the last three games is averaging 11 points and six rebounds blocking over a shot a game and shooting 36% from deep uh, in 19 the minutes thing a game him, though, that I wonder about, cause he's so athletic and he's so long and he has such a good stroke for a big guy, but I wish somebody could get through his head. Like, dude, I know you can shoot, but man, let's make your game around the bucket. Let, let's let's get you around. I I get it that you can shoot, and there's going to be like little little fractions of time to do that. But I would, because he's still so raw. I would work on his game on the inside and go out. But I I would just focus on everything in the paint right now with him. Yeah, but he, the the thing I have with that though is that if he's coming off the bench, Wendell Carter Jr. is also coming off the bench. So you're not you're not stretching out Wendell Carter right now the way that he's shooting. So well, maybe maybe somebody kind of should be getting two, playing time. Well, at the same time, they got to do the development thing, right? They and, do. And, and think about it. And think about it. Kem Birch, it now has the opportunity to really make a name for himself 
with his starting starting spot now and is somebody who who is that pink guy that you're talking about just but does it, the dirty work and the magic put themselves in this position because they have so many big guys like they do they, you know they drafted mo bamba when they did when everybody was kind of like what do you really need another big guy but they you know they went on they got him and this is kind of the the spot that they're in right now no it is it is but at this time, it looks like they're playing both of them together. So we're going to find out mm-hmm. if Mo's going to be stretching it out like that. And so far, he has. Um, and, and and while keeping that same intensity on the defensive end and being somebody who makes you think about coming into the paint, which, thank goodness, because we've wanted to see this kind of stretch from Mo Bamba for quite some time. And he's still really young, and he's gone through a lot. He obviously went through COVID. He's had injury problems after injury problems. So maybe this is the stretch that gets him going. So you are telling me that you're right behind KOC on the Mo Bamba bandwagon. I really, I've, I've just enjoyed watching the last few games that he's played. That's, that's all I'll say. And he's being aggressive and he's not afraid of the moment. Right you now. can, you can definitely see talent there and it's raw and it's just, it's just getting him out there and getting into the reps and putting in the work and just seeing it, it still feels like it's just a, a it's a ball of clay that needs exactly. to be molded, you know, in a lot exactly. of ways. So you, one other thing I want to bring up about the trade deadline, because there was so much talk about Cal Lowry and that went down to the wire. And we've kind of had like some more information come out about that in the meantime, we'll around that whole situation about him being traded. Cause it sounded like it came down to basically while the Sixers might've still been in it, it came down to the Heat or the Lakers, and it came down to who they were going to include. You know, the the Heat were like, "There's no way we're putting Tyler Hero in this package." It sounds like they were willing to put Duncan Robinson in there, though. And then the Lakers didn't want to put Taylor Horton Tucker in there, and but the Lakers' deal was Schroeder and KCP, and people are like, "Wait, why would they do that?" And now the talk is about Dennis Schroeder and. So the Lakers offered him a contract extension. It, it looks like it was somewhere around like four years, 80 million in that ballpark. And he said, no, that's the most that they can offer him right now anyway, until he becomes you know a free agent. The most they can offer him is four years and 84 million. And I guess Schroeder believes that he can get more on the open market. He's never been a free agent. And I think he really wants to do that. But, you know, with the Lakers and how much money they could be responsible for next year, that deal does make sense to me because you would have to pay Schroeder. You would have to pay uh, Montrezl Harrell if you want to keep him. Um, you got to pay Caruso if you want to keep him. You got to pay Taylor Horton Tucker if you want to keep him. And he's going to cost probably about $10 million a year or so as a restricted free agent. Kuzma's new deal kicks in. Plus, you've got AD and you got LeBron on that roster. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of money that's going to be spent there. And I don't know how much they want to spend you know, and plus, you know, you just give KCP his deal. The thing that I wonder about, so I'm not surprised that they put Schroeder in a possible deal. And everybody says, well, the Lakers didn't do it because they didn't want to trade Taylor Horton Tucker. And and I can I can see that. I know some people are super high in him. I'm still still kind of like a we'll see. He plays a little bit too below the rim for me right now. To I think he'll be good, but I don't know if he'll be great. I really wondered though if the sticking point wasn't just we don't want to put him in the trade. It was, we'll put him in the trade, but we need to have some kind of wink, wink, nod, nod from Kyle Lowry that he wants to stay here, that he will resign in the off season, you know? And I don't know if they ever got that, you know, kind of agreement, you know, that kind of backdoor handshake kind of a thing. I, and if they weren't going to get that kind of commitment, 
I think they said, well, we're not, we're not giving up uh, THT. Yeah, no. And I'm, I think it was smart on many teams as parts to hold on to what they wanted because Masai was demanding the, the ringer for, <laughs> for Kyle Lowry and, you know, to and have a should. financial financial commitment to somebody who is Kyle Lowry's age. Um, it was going to take a lot. You had rumblings of the Sixers going out there and, and you know, possibly wanting to uh, get Lowry, but it was going to cost Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. And you just mentioned the Lakers and how it would have costed Taylor Holt, Horton Tucker and someone like, uh, you know, a Dennis Schroeder or a Montrez Harrell or whoever else they had to offer. Miami didn't want to part ways with Tyler Hero. So Masai was demanding a lot. And I think at the end of the day, everyone got what they wanted. Um, I didn't think that the Raptors wanted to get rid of Kyle Lowry in any way, but they were looking to possibly sell high if somebody was offering something uh, worth their while. Wasn't so, it weird, though, that the talk tough. was that when when Philly talked about Harden, they did not want to give up Maxi in that deal. But there was a talk about when it came to Lowry that they were willing to give up Maxi but they wouldn't also include Thibel. Well, I'm saying, yeah. okay, I, yeah. I, I mean, we got to unravel a little bit to see what, what really happened and what, what didn't. But, I mean, that was the talk coming out of both of those. I was like, well, that's kind of weird, you know, uh, that they wouldn't do that. I mean, and then, you know, I mean, we can always, you know, throw dirt on this coffin, but, I mean, look at what the Rockets did. Like, the Rockets could have had Ben Simmons, you know. Uh, they... <laughs> Yeah, and then you look at what the return is. Yeah, they could have had Karis Levert and Jared Allen. But instead, they go, we're going to go the Oladipo route. Now, mind you, who knows how that trade's going to turn out because everybody can bury it right now, but we got to see how those draft picks and what they turn into. So it's kind of like we can relitigate this in three or four years. Right now right. on paper, though, it doesn't look all that great, but we will see. The Oladipo deal did not. I'll tell you that. No, none of this did. I mean, I mean, I mean they, what's a draft swap going to do? Because if that's what you're waiting on, I mean, you got Kelly Olenek and uh, Avery Bradley back. And Kelly Olenek's a fine player. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I mean, uh, if you but, sit there and go, okay, I could have had Kyrus LeVert and Jared Allen. And they, and the thinking was, well, we don't know if Jared Allen's going to play well next to Christian Wood. Well, I, I sure damn well would like to have that asset and try it out. And if not, then I'll trade him or something. Showcase. Yeah. And that's the reason they didn't keep. Karis is because they thought Oladipo would be better to showcase before the deadline than Karis would have. Been. But you could also have had Ben Simmons. They could have had that deal. They could have gotten Ben. And they said no. Well. So, I mean, part of that, there might be some uh, some old wounds between the um, <laughs> the Rockets' former GM with his new team, you know? So, uh, that, that could have uh, played a part in that. Who knows? True that. True that. By the way, you want some breaking news? Breaking news. Breaking news. The Los Angeles Clippers are set to sign DeMarcus Cousins on a 10-day contract. Oh, wow. Boogie's on the 10-day deal now? All right. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I mean, you know what? Give it a try. See what happens. 10-day 10 10-day 10 doesn't hurt you. If you like him, you can bring him back on another 10-day, and then you have a conversation on whether you sign him throughout the season or not. Rondo and Boogie back together, man. They just hey, love being hey, around each other. that was one of my favorite teams in New Orleans like bar none i loved them together and i loved the the ad connection there they still had drew it was a good team i liked that pelicans team hey they were lot. all together with la it's just boogie kept getting hurt yeah yeah that's 
that it makes sense because if he's been on you know on the west coast and working out i mean there's no reason you don't take a flyer on a guy like that uh, especially a 10 day that's not going to really hurt you so yeah i mean boogie we know can't move the same way that he he can but maybe this is just like kind of a band-aid as Serge Ibaka continues to try and get healthy. Um, as we know, he's been out with that back injury for a little bit now. Um, How much and, are you going to ask a boogie, though? I mean, 10, 15 minutes a game? Oh, max, max. I mean, Ibaka's been out since the 15th of March, so that's been almost 10 games. Um, they would like some some depth at the, the, the center position. They've been playing a ton of zoo there. They've been playing some Marcus Morris there. Um, so... Yeah, not a bad not a bad move on a 10-day, not at all. I, I think that's a smart move. Uh, does it impact what they're going to do in the playoffs? Probably not. We'll find out. We'll see if if Boogie really comes in and makes a, a huge impact. But a solid depth signing and somebody who's probably going to get playing time in the short term. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy that, that could possibly change anything with that team and people can laugh about it is going to be Rondo because, you know, playoff Rondo is a real thing. And on top of that, I hated that move. I hated that move. Oh, I loved it. I, I hated I, it. I loved it because, I mean, for Rondo, I think what he can do kind of as another coach that's on the floor, as a guy that off the floor is very meticulous and will point things out. Plus, I think he'll be a guy in the locker room that will hold people accountable for what they need to do. And when he's on the court as well, he's a guy that's not necessarily looking for his shot. Like, he knows how to dole it out. He knows, okay, this guy needs – to get a touch here. This guy needs to get a touch here. Okay. We need a bucket here. You know, I mean, he's, he knows how to do all those different things. He's for that team. Their point guards were shoot first guys and he is not a shoot first guy. Yeah, you're right. At the same time, I think they needed defense. I think they needed someone to, to penetrate and that's neither uh, me and Nikias talked about this on our draft on our, not our draft show, our trade trade deadline show. And that, move to me was basically lateral if not a step back well some of that i think was just getting lou williams out of there too right yeah they they clearly trust terrence Mann, and they should because terrence Mann has been on a tear i love watching terrence Mann play um reggie jackson's been playing well and you know you you have luke Kennard who's able to to play make in some ways as well off the bench um right now as a starter while paul george gets healthy uh but I think that this really isn't a fit because Paul and Kawhi have the ball in their hands so much. You're not going to have Rondo playing off the ball. No, you're like, not. That, but I, think, I, I think Rondo's going to handle the ball a little bit more. I think that's one of the problems that Kawhi has had because when he was with the Raptors, he liked it that Lowry had the main, you know, ball handling uh, duties. And I think with, with the Clippers, that hasn't been the case. He feels like to initiate the offense the way they want because they have shoot first, you know, point guards or, or guys that that aren't creating shots for other people that he's had to take on some more ball handling responsibilities. I don't think he wants to do that, but you can I do think that with PG Rondo. Could be that guy though, and they've ha they have a great record. I just don't understand the point guard debate. They just can't close games. It's that they're just up and down and up and down. Just when you think they're going to get on a roll, yeah, like a bad game or two. And like the, the outside opinion on the Clippers is that they need a point guard. And I've been fighting against this all year. No, they don't. <laughs> That's the thing. And secondly, tell me how you're finding minutes for Rajon Rondo, Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson. 
Tell me, because Reggie Jackson's playing really well. You're not taking away minutes from him. Patrick Beverly, maybe it's more of insurance for him to go and get Rondo, but Patrick Beverly is the heart of that team. So tell me how they're going to find minutes for all three of them, plus Luke Kennard. He might be the heart of that team, but they have a one diddly squat with him, you know, leading that team. So I think I think they will carve out minutes for Rondo. I think I think he's going to find 15 minutes a night. They're going to have to, you know, depending on the situations, I think they're going to have to take some minutes from Pat Bev. And they probably will from from all their point guards. I guess it'll be more bat matchup based, but I just completely disagree with that line of thinking. I don't know. I, I it, it's all going to come down to I think for the Clippers, we won't know the value of Rondo until, until the postseason. Yep, and then we see what can he turn it on. Is he going to be healthy? And can he find a way to not only turn it on but kind of be the glue for this team that they need because they need some kind of cohesion, you know, especially down the stretch of these games. Yeah. So much for not talking about the trade deadline, <laughs> but, but Hey, I mean, the boogie, the boogie news was breaking. So that, that was solid transition into the, the Clippers, but uh, just talking about the season and some teams that haven't gotten some love. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, Eastern conference. We've seen a little bit of a surge from two teams that were at the bottom. Not so long ago. Now they're vaulting to the top. You've got the Hornets at 24 and 22 and the Knicks at 24 and 23, four and five in the East. I've been watching a lot of Hornets lately. And, you know, everyone thought that when LaMelo Ball went down, that that was it for them. But they've got guys that are coming up and stepping up to the challenge. And let me tell you, it's been great to watch Devontae Graham play the way he has as of late because it just seems like that magic he captured last season when he was almost the most improved player. And he's been playing so well. And Terry Rozier is somebody who's been playing so well throughout this season. Gordon Hayward, I feel like, as somebody is going under the radar because he's not on a team like the Celtics, but he is quietly having one of his best seasons since he was in Utah. And they just have a nice little thing going there right now that I feel like, since LaMelo's gone down, has gone under the radar. I totally agree. And then, you know, when he went down, I think they were one of the teams that you looked at going, okay, how far are they going to possibly tumble? You know, because there's not that big of a difference between the four C where the Hornets are at and like where the paces are at, which is the nine seed. I mean, there's only two and a half games separating the two, but the Hornets, they've won four of their last five, you know, they had dropped three in a row and they've kind of righted the ship now without LaMelo and, you know, people were wondering if they were going to make um, a big move at the trade deadline, and they did not. And this is their team, and they're just asking their guys to step up. So far, they've done it. You know, and and I know you're going to talk about the Knicks, but the Knicks are another team, too, especially with their second-half schedule. You kind of wonder, like, okay, is the Magic going to be off them? Are they going to they gonna fall back here a little bit? And so far, they haven't. I mean, we've still got 25 games left in the season. We've got a third of the season to go. But they've held up so far, and, you know, we'll see if that can continue. And I really enjoy watching their bench play. I like I like the Martin Twins, uh, and and Cody Zeller's really done a solid job uh, since he's come off the bench for Bismack Biombo. Um, I love Miles Bridges. That is one of the players that really draws my attention. He's somebody I think that's taking a leap this season, and it might necessarily not be in the stat column. I mean, he's got less minutes. He's not starting anymore, 
but the efficiency and him buying into this role where he is more of a, a high usage guy off the bench. He's somebody that really makes noise in transition. I mean, every other day you're looking at a Miles Bridges highlight, let's be honest. Uh, but defensively, he brings those chops. Uh, he shot the ball a little bit better um, and he gets you rebounds. Like, I, I think he's a very valuable player. And it sucks that LaMelo went down because him and LaMelo had a really nice rapport when LaMelo would come in and play with some of the bench guys. But I feel like Miles deserves a little bit more love uh, this season, and uh, he's going to continue to be on this groove. Well, the guy that I've been kind of waiting to pick up his game is Devontae Graham. And, and obviously he's going to get more of an opportunity now and, and he's, he's done really well. So I'm, I want to continue to see his progression because, you know, when we saw him last year, everybody's like, Whoa, what's, what's this guy got? What can he get do? You know? So I wanted to see where that was going to go. Yep. He's returned and, to form a little bit. Absolutely. It's, it's nice. And, and, and secondly too, I mean, another part of this bench that we haven't talked about, he's been, you know, he's missed the last couple of games with injury, but Malik Monk, man, like so talk about a guy who could just come out and drop 30 on your head any, any night or go one of 15 from the field. Like <laughs> he's so such a volatile player. <laughs> he's a guy that like you sick and light it up. And then in a game last night, DNP CD. It's just like, what's going on here with Malik Monk? You know, I mean, they beat the Wizards, so you know, didn't need them that much. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they 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 they've got other weapons, you know, on there now. And I mean, I don't know how much playing time, and I'm not gonna call them a weapon, but like they went out and they traded for Wanamaker as well, just to add a little bit of depth. So, you know, they're they're trying to cover up for you know the loss of Lamelo. And by the way. We thought that Lamelo was done for the season, but the team is saying no. Like they they expect him to come back, you know, in like three or four weeks. Fingers crossed there. Fingers crossed. All right. Uh, the Knicks, we we mentioned them and we've we've talked about them before in this podcast, but they're keeping it up, man. They're keeping it up. They're they're continuing to 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 prove the doubters wrong. I know the last time they 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 played, they lost to the Heat, but before then they had won three in a row. Um I think that their brand of basketball is never changing and it, it's, they're going to stick to that half court slow game going to really dig into you uh, on the defensive end. And it, it's just continued this way. I feel like they're really, a, they're a matchup team. If you see them in the playoffs, if, if you're a team that struggles to, to score maybe, you know, in the paint or, uh, you know, in the, on the perimeter, then you're going to have trouble with a, a team like the Knicks. Um, they have a very particular style. Uh, I feel terrible, by the way, for Mitchell Robinson, um, you know, fracturing his foot the other day after coming back from an injury before that. Uh, just, just terrible to see. Um, and I wondered if the Knicks were going to up their interest in Andre Drummond. And I don't know if they did. It's, it sounds like they didn't. I think at that point, or maybe Drummond had already indicated to them that he was looking elsewhere because it, it sounds like the final two were the Lakers and the Celtics that he was choosing from. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I'm sure they would have. And, you know, from, you know, guys that I've talked to around the league um, in these, you know, front office situations, um, I feel like the Knicks could have made that multi-year offer 
um, to get ahead in free agency and, and basically, you know, snatch him up before he can have his pick of the litter. Uh, but it was clear that Drummond's priority was to win a championship and showcase himself before this free agency class instead of getting a, a long-term deal right now. Uh, but uh, with, this Knicks, with this Knicks team, though, uh, in particular, I feel like they have a, a lot of the right pieces and a, a belief in one another. I think that I've mentioned this before, but R.J. Barrett's not getting nearly enough love uh, this season for just his gradual progression as a young player who is, is, is really starting to find himself as a, a playmaker, but taking it to the rim and, and really, you know, knocking down those threes um, at a, a solid clip. I, I know, you know, he's, he's had some struggles from beyond the arc as of late, but the willingness to let it go, the, the, the lack of pressure that's on him right now, uh, I think is really helping. Uh, I think that you look at a, a guy like Alec Burks, who, again, we talk about volatile players when we say Malik Monk, but, you know, Alec Burks is somebody who really can get it going at any given moment as well uh, and then not contribute to a game at all. <laughs> like, you know, there's there's kind of a, uh, you know, a, an unknown factor, I guess, with Alec Burks sometimes. But he's really gotten into a, a one of those solid stretches as of late. Um, scoring 20 points in five out of the last six games. Uh, then the one against Miami, he only dropped six. But before that, he was averaging, uh, it looks like, in 22 points a game on uh, 50% from deep before that. So that's really funny. But also just how it goes with Alec Burke sometimes just because of the usage and and sometimes, uh, you know, just uh, having to to fight for those touches. But... I feel like they have a, a lot of solid weapons. We haven't even mentioned Julius Randle. We obviously know what Julius Randle's done this season. Um, but what do you feel like, you know, their chances are uh, in the playoffs if they do get to, uh, you know, uh, a first round or, se- or second round matchup, um, you know, just based on the style that they play and, you know, who they're employing out there? I mean... I think in the first round, it would be a tough out. I think it's going to be an easier out in the second round for them, but they're going to be a thorn in somebody's side here. I mean, I don't think they're going to be an easy out, especially in the first round. Once you get to the second round and we get a little bit of separation, I think, you know, that's where they could be kind of, if you want to use the word exposed a little bit more, but I, I don't think they're going to be somebody that you can easily discount in the first round because they are going to play hard and, you know, they are, they are going to really push somebody because with the style of play that they they already play. The question is to me is we see how hard that they play on a night to night basis. Can they take that up even another level when the playoffs come? Or are they maxing out right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it helps too that they have someone like Tibbs, you know, like somebody who has. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, because you get driven so hard by Tibbs in the regular season, like what's left in the tank when the playoffs come? Yeah, yeah. And I guess you see that in just his history in the playoffs. Uh, But I think that their roster is a little bit more equipped for it, I guess. Uh, But but we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, against, you know, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks don't like their chances. But everybody Mm -hmm. else in the East, I'd say 
you know, probably fair shot. Maybe, maybe if they face the heat, you know, I, I, I definitely would favor the heat if they could ever finally get healthy and keep everybody on the court for a stretch of 20 games here. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I think they would give everybody else a fight, even a team like as as talented as the Celtics because of all the problems that they've had this year. Oh, they would be a nightmare matchup for that team. Oh. <laughs> the way that, that, that they struggle offensively. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Did you see that Fournier went 0 for 10 in this tape? Oh. He, he'll, he'll figure it out. Don't, don't, I'm not going to pile on to Evan Fournier, but I'm just saying that, that that was apparently one of the worst debuts in Celtics history. Or yeah, something. And, and see, that was it was funny because like, how many times have we heard that the Celtics were interested in Vooch and then Vooch gets dealt, you know, at the deadline. And it's like, yeah, the Celtics, uh, they were in on that. And I'm like, okay, we don't, we're not privy to every kind of talk. We're like, what did they offer then? Like, because you would have thought like that would have been a great fit for Vooch if he was going to be traded. And I don't know if they really went over the, apparently they didn't go over the top and what they offered, you know, in the bulls, they were reluctant to, in, from according to a report, they were reluctant to include Marcus smart and, or um, Robert Williams, the third from, from that report. So if you're going to trade for Vooch, how you have to give up something. are you about giving up time Lord? Yeah. I mean, the, the Marcus Smart, mm, yes and no. I mean, it's a little bit different because of what he means to that team, you know, in that organization. You better get some big-time value back for that if you're going to include, you know, your heart and soul guy that that fans love. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hey, how many times have we heard over the last five years that the Celtics were in on somebody and came, oh, so close, you know, and, yeah, here and it we didn't go happen. Again. It's just yep. like, here we are. Here, like, I and the, I, I the, thought that maybe they're going to get both Aaron Gordon and Fournier, and they got they got Fournier for nothing, you know. So, so was, yeah, that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they, they didn't do a bad job on that end. No. Uh, by the, by the way, <laughs> it's funny that they weren't given you know willing to give up Time Lord, but they're giving Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner all these minutes to start. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, what is going and, on? Come on. And and you know Brad Stevens is loving playing you know those guys. Um, but well, he I can't. Mean, he have, can't design. He can't design last-minute plays for Daniel Tice to win the ball game anymore. They live. They they have a a solid uh, versatility at that position now, though, with guys that do do different things. So yes, I'll, I will give. I will give them that. Um, I did also want to get into just real quick uh, what Russell Westbrook has done the last two games. Oh, I was going to bring up your boy, man. That's my boy, man. I love Russ's game. He looks healthy, man. I don't know if you saw him. <laughs> it, it, it pretty much was kind of a, a moot point, moot point at that point last night. But just him getting into the lane and dunking all over. <laughs> like, like, Did he make a trip to Germany during the All Star break? Do we miss something here? I, dude, I don't know. But I mean, if you just look at the game that he had against Indiana, that they won where he put up 35 points, 21 assists, and 14 rebounds. The first 35-20 assist triple-double in the history of the NBA, mind you. Uh, and then to follow that up with a 22-15-14 and 14, uh, in a loss to Charlotte, by the way, not really his fault. Denny Evdia could not hit water if he fell out of a boat in that game. Um, so not all of his you know, fault at that point. Uh, and his teammates really struggled to, to hit these shots. Uh, but he did everything in his power for them to win that game. Rui Achimura, by the way, showed so much 
uh, promise in that game. He's on I, fire, I really, man. I really, really like what he's done. Uh, but maybe that's because Bradley Beal's been out and he's just been able to show this other aggressive side. We need to see him continue to show that aggressive side when Beal comes back into the fold. You know, like, this is a good time for him to build that confidence when Bradley Beal is out. But when he comes back, maybe there's a happy medium you can find in the timeshare, you know, in, the, in sharing the ball. And well, Hachimura scored over 20 points six of the last 11 games. Um, the last two games, he scored 30, he scored 26. So he's he's really picked up, you know, his scoring load. And, like, part of that is because they've had to. But, like, you can definitely see why people have been so high on his game. And finally, he's staying on the court. He's doing it too. He's he's not doing it all from from deep. Like he is, you know, getting it on the block and he's facing up a little bit more. Uh, just just letting it fly. Uh, he's taking it to the basket, um, using his body. He's doing a really good job of of really you know picking up that scoring load without Bradley Beal part of the equation at the moment. Um, Bradley's obviously not going to be out for for a long time, but. Um, I feel like he has to figure that out, that balance when Brad comes back uh, and continue that type of play because it's it. The, the Wizards can still get into this play in tournament, even though they can as bad as it as bad as it's been really realistically. No one is out of it, maybe except for Detroit and Orlando, given what they have on the, the roster. No one's really realistically out of that place. The Wizards are two and a half out of the 10 seed right now, which is the Raptors. And the Raptors have had their struggle. They've lost nine of their last 10. And I really wonder if they're going to be the team that's on the outs looking in when it's all said and done to that play-in tournament. Well, we'll find out because, I mean, they get Kyle Lowry back. You you, you do inject some new life with Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Um, you know, the, the two different positions – or. Two, two guys that can fill it up uh, at their positions. Um, you know, I feel like Toronto's just kind of been be- dealt a bad hand post-COVID. Uh, maybe, they, you know, it has something to do with that. But they they have time still. They have way too much talent on that team not to win. So I'm not going to bury them. But maybe mentally it is too much, to, you know, to break them down. Uh, you know, I I haven't really understood what's going on in Indiana. Um, they're a perplexing case study to me because they've been pretty much at full health all season, except for TJ Warren, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, TJ Warren's a missing piece, but they still, you know, you bring in Karis LeVert. Um, you still have Doma Sabonis, an All Star. You have Malcolm Brogdon, who is an All Star level player. Uh, you know, I that team confuses me. They they have a lot of pieces. I, I like, you know, TJ McConnell coming off the bench does a lot for them. Uh, Justin Holiday has been, you know, really solid. Miles Turner, as we know, has been a defensive monster. Uh, but I just, something's not computing with me on, on their end. I don't know what it is. Something's uh, not computing with them because you look at, I mean, they're three games below 500 and they should not. Be scene, they've got all that talent. talent and you're like, how how is this happening? Like what what is going on here? I just I don't I don't know. It's clear in the games that they lose, they do not commit to the defensive end. Yeah, because I mean they're giving up 113 points a game. You know, I mean that's a problem. It is, and that's just something that we're not used to seeing from them. No, and you wonder a lot of that is effort. You know, a lot of what defense is is effort. 
you know, it's not everything, but there's, there's a lot to it there. And they are not putting in the work on that end of the court and it's, it's costing them. I mean, it is, I like, I just, I had no idea there. And I guess, you know, that's where we can kind of leave things, you know, for this week and we can get into the West next week, even though I would love to talk about my Kings because De'Aaron Fox is just, you know, setting the, the world, world, baby, setting the world on fire right now. Uh, Zion Williamson can't miss a shot. And for everybody that wants to check out a great article, uh, Nikaias Duncan on our website at basketballnews.com put up a breakdown of how dominant Zion has been as of late, and he is just killing it right now. But regardless, you want to talk about a conundrum team, that is the Pelicans, because you know they're four games below 500. You're sitting going, what is going on? They got Zion, they got Ingram. Like, what is going on with this team? And they can't even figure out who they are as well. They're young. They'll, they'll, they're, they're a team that I, I sit there and I do wonder going back to their off season, like what if you had not made the trade and kept holiday and then not took on Steven Adams? I don't know. I, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. That the hindsight Adams is twenty twenty. Yeah, the Adams one I think is tough because there was all kinds of talk that they were already looking to move off of him, and now they're they're kind of hamstrung with that contract and Bledsoe, who everybody you know rags on. But I do wonder if you have that core of like Holiday Ingram Zion with this version of Zion. You mean yes? Like well, what here's the like. thing. Here's the thing, though, Brian. Drew would have to be forced to play off the ball more. Yep. So I don't know how that would have looked because Zion's become point Zion now. Um, He's the one who has the ball in his hands. He is passing out of, you know, the high post. He is bringing the ball up in some cases, doing some handoffs, executing some handoffs. Uh, When he fakes a handoff, he's able to brute his way into the paint and, burst through any coverage you have. Uh, he's really, you know, upped his his playmaking ability, but also just the way that he attacks. And you'll see this in Nikias's article is just with brute force, but with the utmost grace. It, it's so unique how he uses his body. I mean, Brian, over the last three games, he's shooting 66% from the field. Um, one of those games, he went 16 of 19 and that was a, uh, a loss against Denver, but he went 16 and 19 in the, from the field and had 39 points and 10 rebounds and five assists. Like, and, and, and the thing is too, like he could do it against bigger guys, but like he's sniffing out these mismatches to where now you're getting like guards wings trying to body up against him and they have no chance. All he's got to do is is literally just lower his shoulders. And if he does it with enough grace, which he has, he isn't like really getting, you know, charge calls. Like he's not getting a ton of charge calls, which is crazy because the way, you know, he has such a huge body that you'd think that he would be getting whistled for those. Uh, But he's just with brute force, but under control. Everybody bounces off of him. That's why, like he's not getting bowling guys over. He's just like, he just slides right through you, but with power. Yeah, it, he's he is an interesting case study and one of the fun, like most fun players to watch. Like it's oh. 
It's it's a blast watching Zion. He's, he's unique. He's something different that we haven't seen. I mean, and it's even different from a powerhouse like Shaq because Shaq would just go right through you. He'd go over top of you. He'd just dunk you, uh, dunk on you, and then you know push you down to the ground and smirk and run down to the other end of the court. You know, so it's it's a little bit different. But I don't think we've seen this kind of power and um, athleticism, kind of footwork from the same kind of guy that we see out of Zion since we've seen. Shaq. It's just they they utilize their power in a different way. And the funny thing is, and Stan Van Gundy's been complaining about this all year, and he's probably right. For as much as Zion is in the paint, to have only eight and a half free throw attempts a game is pretty crazy, especially when you look yeah. around the league at uh, you know, how many players are averaging, you know, in the double digits of getting to the rim. Like we can look at at certain you know players that are getting to the line uh, a, a lot that have similar uh you know attacking mentality that are just getting more like what do you think is the reason for that is is it because of how big he is <laughs> that that it is like that i think so because he's the one that's like it, it, it's similar to kind of like the shack situation that he's not the one that like when, when the contact happens, he's not the one moving backwards. It's always the other person, no matter who's initiating the contact, he's the one that is absorbing it and going through it. And, and the hilarious, the hilarious part too, by the way, is that he is third in the league yet. Stan, you know, continues to to harp on how he needs to get to the line more, but he, he is third in the league in free throw attempts. Above him is Trey Young and Giannis. Yeah, he thinks he should be the line 11, 12, 13 times a game. And you can make that argument because he is getting beat up down there. But and plus, the difference, the other difference between him and Shaq, too, is obviously that Zion is doing it on the move. He's on the dribble doing these things. And he's so quick, he'll initiate contact. But, like, he's not getting thrown off his position as he continues to move because he is so strong about it. So a lot of this punishment that he's taking, it's because he's not flopping, he's not moving, he's not budging, you know, none of that is happening, or a lot of cases it's not. So the referees are not going to call that foul. Yeah. Yeah, That that's a really – that's probably the best explanation for it. Um, Before we get out of here – can I bring up one point that I wanted to ask you about? Because I've kind of wondered about this, okay? Yeah. So we talk about injuries in the NBA. We've had a flurry of, of injuries. And uh, luckily, some guys are coming back. But the two most notable guys are not back yet are Kevin Durant of the Nets and Anthony Davis of the Lakers. We've gotten updates on both of them, you know, with Durant. And so they've always said, like, it's more precaution when it comes to his hamstring. He's been out for over six weeks now, and it sounds like he's doing four-on-four -four drills and he's about to come back. Anthony Davis, you know, they're calling it a calf injury, but we all know that they're worried about his Achilles. Um, the latest update on him was he's been cleared to do more on-court work, but he's not cleared for contact yet. And we don't know when that's going to happen, maybe here in another two weeks, but he's been out close to six weeks. And I kind of wonder... At what point do we really get worried about like these guys? Like, can they come back or can they get back to close to full strength this year? How much of a risk is it? You know, if they do come back, you know, I'm like, I think both are going to come back, but I, I start to wonder about risk versus reward when it comes to these guys, because with AD, it's an Achilles. You never want to, you know, fool around with that, especially for a big guy. And with KD, 
he's coming back from an Achilles and now is having lingering effects in his legs. Yeah, it's definitely something that you don't want to mess with. You you mentioned and you hit the nail on the head right there. I think that if you give it, you know, the proper amount of time, which could be, you know, the two months or whatever it may be. I, here's the thing that, that I'm concerned about um, is their teams, like, having new pieces and them having to to readjust and having to get back into the You were about the chemistry of everything. Yeah. Yes. Like with the Lakers, for example, we're not going to see how AD knows how to play with Andre Drummond or LeBron even for that matter since he's been out for so long now. I mean, by the time both those guys come back, there's only going to be what, maybe seven to 10 games left in the season? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think you need at least three weeks minimum to get a groove and to get into a rhythm before the postseason arrives because you don't want to get to the postseason and not have that that flow and that understanding and that that chemistry like you mentioned to perform at the highest level right and, and that's why like even when you know at the trade deadline not to go harp on that too much when when there was some talk that like the Lakers were listening to offers on Montrose Herald especially from like Charlotte people are like, why would they do that? Like he's, he's been the only guy that's been able to score lately and, and this and then the other, I'm like, well, the guy is, you know, on a one-year contract, basically he might not be back next year. It could cost too much. But on top of that, when AD comes back, they really haven't played much together on the court. You know I mean? Like if you watch their minutes, it's very little time that they have played on the court together. And they definitely, I think only maybe like one or two games played on the court at the same time, like in a close game down the stretch. So, you know, AD is going to soak up so many of those minutes to where Harold is just going to be like an energizer bunny off the, the bench, you know, before they made the move for Drummond, people like, Oh, how are they going to fit Gasol? Well, I think he's going to be, he could be one of those guys where like he starts the game, he starts the second half, but he's going to play 10 minutes, you know, and that that's all it was going to be. Now that's probably going to go to Drummond. He might get a few more minutes, but like somebody's going to get squeezed out of time here. I mean, I think everybody expects it to be Gasol. I don't know about that because Gasol can do things that the other guys can't that, you know, his passing game and initiating the offense and then occasionally hitting a three. I'm not saying that he's going to be playing a lot of minutes, but he has a role, you know? So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out. And, and the other thing, too, when it comes to the Lakers, I highly doubt this, but I do wonder, because we've seen this before, when guys' names get thrown out there at trade deadline and they don't get moved, are they hurt the rest of the season? Like, does it affect them the way? Now, mind you, when it comes to, like, you know, Schroeder and KCP and Harrell, they're, they're at least, they've been in the league a little bit. It's not like the situation happened with the Lakers a few years ago where it was all the really young guys and they were all in talks to be in the trade for AD. Um, but I do wonder about that, you know, the rest of the season with the Lakers a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I still think that everybody can look at them as being the favorites in the West. But AD is a massive Massive question mark. I mean, obviously LeBron's still injured, but at the same time, I feel more confident about him getting back to full strength when he comes back than I do AD. And then, you know, it's up to Frank Vogel and his coaching staff to see how are all these parts going to fit. And I, 
I think he's had some very blunt conversations with his talent, you know, and saying, Hey, this is how I'm going to use you going forward. Or when the playoffs come, this is probably what's going to happen. And you know, the guy that's probably going to have to sacrifice the most is going to be Marcus Gasol. but I am not going to be surprised if we see, you know, a lessened role for Montrezl Harrell, especially when the playoffs come. No, not at all. And you know, you look at the flip side and you look at the nets, they they've been doing just fine without KD. Um, so maybe that's just a little less concerning than, you know, the Lakers who are literally missing the head of their snake. Um, Doesn't Durant so, kind of fit in a little bit more seamlessly with yeah, what they do? Though? No question. Because they, the Nets aren't missing their ball handlers and their go-to options. They have Kyrie Irving and James Harden. You know, Kyrie was out for a few games last week, but he's back, uh, you know, just uh, personal reasons, whatever it may be. I know it was his birthday, but... Um, the wait you know, he the, he took his he he didn't play a couple of games because of his birthday why why are you doing this podcast today Spencer why are you working I mean don't you have like a a three day birthday celebration that you should be enjoying he also right he also celebrated uh, the the birth of his child too I believe so well that that's that, pretty important that's I say that's pretty important and so those two things coincided so um <laughs> it, it it made sense for him to be away from the team we'll say that but uh just. You know, they have Harden, they have, you know, Irving and the, the team's been okay with Kevin Durant. I, like, so I see why they've been taking their good old time with him. You know, it, it just hasn't really, uh, you know, a, affected their offensive firepower. And th that's why a lot of people are on that. James Harden should be in the MVP conversation uh, train be, because they've been doing this without KD and stuff. Um, but it's definitely uh, something that, isn't as concerning as what's going on, you know, with your Lakers who are literally missing their two best players. Right. And I mean, there's, you want to talk about a team that's scuffling. I mean, they, they've struggled to beat two bad teams in the last couple of outings and their schedule is going to get super tough here, you know? So, um, Hey, you bring in Andre Drummond, whatever. I'm not, I'm not depending on Andre Drummond to be a, a big time scoring option. And like the Lakers are sitting in the four seed right now in the West, but with their schedule coming up and with AD and LeBron, probably not coming back for at least another four weeks, I would say um, they are going to be lucky if they can hold on to the six seed. And my guess is it's more likely that they'll be in the play in game, you know, when it comes to, or they'll be in the play in tournament. Um, because they'll fall into a seven or eight seed. I don't know how they're going to be able to hang on with what they've got on that team right now. And, you know, when when AD and LeBron come back, I mean, they can make up a little bit of ground, but I think it's going to be more of a situation that there's there's not going to be enough games left in the season for them to really do that. And and you just look about, you know, who's surrounding them. You have Utah and Phoenix at the top. Nobody's talking about either of them, and they're just rolling. You know, like Denver got better. Portland, in my eyes got better by acquiring someone like Norman Powell. They were chanting to retire his jersey after his first game there. That's what you got to love. You got to love it. <laughs> you got to love it. Norm can fill it up, man. Um, but just, again, I mean, Dallas is is getting better. I know they've been without Luka for the last few, but they've been getting better. It looks like Kristaps Porzingis is starting to find a little bit of a rhythm. San Antonio has been struggling, but Memphis has not been. And they still have not played uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. yet to this point. We don't know who the Warriors are, but Steph Curry came back, and obviously they're better when he's there. And, you know, Sacramento, we just mentioned that that De'Aaron Fox is setting the world on fire right now. 
and we just talked about you know Zion and those are probably the threats that are going to be around that play-in spot and so you're right I mean while LeBron and AD have been out this is definitely going to be tough for the Lakers to, to maintain that four spot because Teams are just moving up the chart right now. Oh, yeah, and, and for the Grizzlies, I don't think they're too worried about making the play-in uh, because they just gave up Gorgie Jang for nothing, and he went right to the Spurs. He did. He went right to the Spurs, and uh, that's a good spot for, for him to end up with, with uh, Mr. Popovich down there. But I think, yeah, I think we, um, we talked about the, the league up and down, I think. We did not mention uh, that Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been out with a foot injury, and he was out indefinitely. Uh, but it, it looks like he's still going to be a ways away from it. Um, it sucks because Shea, Shea has had, like, like I said um, a few podcasts ago, he would be one of my top five to build a franchise around for the next 10 years. Um, and that was, you know, a shock to some people. But I'm telling you, this kid's talent and his, his stardom level is just getting started. Uh, and he's dealing with the plaster fasciitis right now on his right foot. But um, he is an absolute gem and uh, we should definitely be paying attention to what he can do. And I know that he had an aversion to needles when he got his first vaccination. I just want to let you know that if you have the same issue with needles, Spencer, that I will be your Lou Dort to SGA. I will hold your hand while you get your shot. And that's what friends are for, right? Exactly. I appreciate that. But that was really sweet. There was really cool. Uh, to see that picture, um, and and that that is that is being a teammate, and uh, Brian Fritz is my teammate here. <laughs> Brian Fritz is my teammate here, so that's keeping it ninety four, ladies and gentlemen. You can find us on basketballnews.com. We are part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Let's go ahead and run through the list of great listens for you. We have the Rex Chapman show with Rex Chapman and Josh Hopkins. They just recently had Andy Richter on Conan O'Brien's sidekick. So make sure to listen to that last episode. Uh, Neat and unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Jada kiss the pose cast with James Posey dishes and dimes with the ladies, the rematch with the Tom Thomas had a very, very in-depth interview with Elijah Millsap and the comments that were made uh, and the reports that were made about the Utah jazz, Dennis Lindsay and, his exit interview um, uh, in the past that you want to listen to. It's his first public comment since the, the matter had been brought up. Uh, the Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. Always a great one to listen to if you're into analytics and X's and O's. The Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy. The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan. The Follow Through with Clips and Drew. And of course, your boys right here, Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz at Keeping It 94. You can find me on Twitter at Spin Davies. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Spin Davies. You can find him on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. That is the show for you. I am going to enjoy my birthday, what's left of it, and some NBA action. So until April, we will see you.